Hi everyone, welcome back to The Only in the Room. My name is Anika Aftab and I will be your host. This is the podcast where we explore stories of some incredible humans that have felt like an only in a room full of people. Despite all of that, they decided to transform their experiences and leave a greater impact on the world. Remember, the only is not just a feeling, it's a movement. On today's episode, we speak to Artie Gonzalez. He tells us about his remarkable journey as a formerly incarcerated person, showcasing the power of personal transformation. Through his powerful storytelling, he invites listeners to see beyond the surface and recognize the potential for growth and change in every individual. Um, I've been traveling just the last few months, truly. I don't know if you've seen my stories, but um, hopefully I'll be back in Honolulu. <laughs> hopefully yeah. I'll be back in Honolulu. We'll see next week or so. But I am trying to awesome. attend as many of the third door events that I can. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm looking we'll, forward to it. Yeah, shout out Alex yeah. Benayan. I, I uh, I'm definitely going to San Francisco. So yes. that's for sure. Um, You're located actually, in LA, right? I am in LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I think in like the next few days, he and I are going to get together for breakfast. So I'm going to really? talk to him some more about yeah. So I'll be talking to him some more about the third door event. He, how all that's yeah. going to go, and I can't wait to hear it all. But very tremendous and amazing human being. You know, I'm so glad that. Uh, we met. I'm so excited, and yeah, yeah, he's. I think that the third door event is like has changed my life trajectory. <laughs> so yeah, to be, right. so like, many of us. I, like, yeah. Yeah. There's so like, much just, of the third door that resonated with me as someone who's gone through what I've gone through and basically yeah. have had to, without knowing it, have had to use the third door my entire life just to get where I am yeah. today and didn't even realize that's what I, the, didn't even realize that was the, the perspective or the attitude or the approach mm-hmm. that I was using this entire time. So to have someone actually like put that in a book and then be able to translate it, just it's... Yeah. It's my favorite so far. So I love it. Well, I mean, so usually with this podcast, I don't actually have a lot of formality at all. I know I've sent you the questions, but I don't really even follow the script. But I think this is a perfect segue. I'd love to actually hear. So obviously the third door, the notion is, you know, taking that, like doing really whatever you can to, I guess, achieve, I don't know, how, how, how do you describe what the third door is? Because <laughs> everyone I talk to has a different, a little bit. Of I think a we all do. You know why? Because I believe that it resonates with us in different ways. So yeah. what resonates with you most is how you would describe the book. So okay. for me, it is. It's there was there were certain themes about his story that really I really mm-hmm. connected to. I would say the the biggest one though is that Alex was entirely persistent and absolutely adamant in that he was not going to give up ever mm-hmm. he, he 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 had a vision for himself and he did whatever it took to put himself in the room uh mm-hmm. and the the third door itself you know just knowing like okay i can't get in through the front i can't get in go through the back so what can i get in through the window on the side like mm-hmm. that is just that's the part that resonated for me so the way i describe his book is it's it's a philosophy in a sense uh, around the no quit, the the determination and the persistence, and it's mm-hmm. been done successfully so many times that you can do it too. So it's like there, mm-hmm. it's a blueprint and a philosophy for how someone can go from vision, dream, to realizing their potential and realizing that goal, so long as they they are willing to intake and absorb. Uh, the lessons of people like him before us, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's kind of like watching him do this has shown us that it's all possible. You know, he talks yeah. about Biz Now and and all the folks at Summit uh, and and the creation of Summit and how all that happened. Um, oh, did you read that book? That was great too. Uh, I haven't yet. Elliot Bisno's so... book and and yeah, and how Summit like that story is is tremendous as well. Oh, I mean, wow. 
the way they the way that they built summit and how the beginnings of it and the failures of it and just mm -hmm. so inspirational but they truly are third door and and that's why alex is like tribe you know what i mean um, yeah but uh but that's so that's that's how i would describe it it's it's sort of a mm -hmm. it's a philosophy but it's also uh a blueprint Mm -hmm. and, and how would you say the philosophy slash blueprint has applied to your life even prior to the book itself? So I would say that it's interesting uh, because the, the, the beautiful thing about the third door and his journey was that he was very honest about all of his failures leading up to uh, just everything leading up to the writing of it, leading up to meeting all these great people. You know, he, I, I feel like when I was a child and I should probably just introduce myself to everybody. My name is Artie Gonzalez yes. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm many things. Clearly I work in the film industry. We had, we just had a whole conversation about that, which I don't know if it was recorded or not, but, I um, <laughs> I do work in the film industry, but in addition to that, I am a formerly incarcerated person. And I spent 21 years of my life in California prison system. Eight of those years I spent in solitary confinement on a 19 to life sentence that was given to me um, when I was 16 years old. Mm -hmm. So that being said, I, I am now an advocate and I've, I've successfully been home since 2015. You know, life is good. I'm building, I'm growing, I'm playing catch up. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in that advocacy, I, I, I just try to share as much of my story as I can to empower people, to inspire others. There's so many people that I did time with who are there right now, who got me to the person that I am today. And I want the world to know that they're nameless, they're faceless. These people don't know who they are. Society mm -hmm. does not know they exist because we like to turn a blind eye. So I'm out on the front lines like, no, I want you to see them. Can I grab you behind the neck and put your face in it? I want you to see them, that they exist. Um, yeah. but, I, but I would say what resonated with me about his story is that I early on, I had aspirations for the film industry and Hollywood. Like I knew that I wanted to work in the film industry since I was about three years old. And mm -hmm. I would act in my home, uh, scenes from movies. I would sing and dance and perform and try to like set up little concerts in, in my at my house. I was always performing, always sort of this, uh, I always just knew that that was the arena that I was supposed to be in. And I don't know how, but some people are just born that way, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm born with this knowing and this understanding and early on in my life, although I went through a very traumatic childhood, I, I did, I was mostly raised by my grandmother early on. My grandmother was a huge source of inspiration for me and sort of kept me focused, kept me grounded despite everything that was happening around me. She was the, the bright light so to speak. Mm -hmm. And she nurtured my dreams. So she put me in musicals. She tried to do what she could to like introduce me to other people who were already acting and who were working in the film industry. And so I had all of these dreams and they were derailed when she died uh, of cancer when I was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And much like the third door story, it was, it was a setback that would then set me on a trajectory away from my vision and away from my dream for a mm -hmm. very long time. Uh, and although my life is very full circle and I just want to be very upfront with everybody about that, it, it took me off of the, off of the path for a very long time. So mm -hmm. once, once she was gone, in my view, in my perspective, as a young 13 year old kid, everything was over for me. I, I had no hope. I had no more light. I had nothing. Was that true? You know, as I get older now, I really ask myself if that was actually the case, you know, 
maybe I did have family. I know my mom certainly tried to step up after that in a big way. You know, she, she got her life together and, and she tried to step up for us. I just wasn't receptive because I was in so much pain and mm -hmm. so lack of trust at that point that I didn't, I didn't want for that to happen. I, I just wanted to live in my, my pain and in my anger. And I went to the streets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, which led to my incarceration and, you know, being away for that long. So, um, but that, that's the part of his story that resonates with me in terms of like mm -hmm. the early failures. Um, I went in just to briefly say this, I went into the prison system. I got worse, much mm -hmm. worse. And then eventually in 2010, I had a very spiritual experience while I was in solitary mm -hmm. confinement that awakened my consciousness. Mm -hmm. And it was like a light switch went off and I couldn't shut it off and I couldn't unsee what I knew. And from that moment forward, I have walked the path that I'm on right now. And the one that, you know, the person that you met mm -hmm. since Absolutely. 2010. And yeah. <laughs> it was fantastic meeting you at the event. I mean, as soon as I heard you speaking, I, I just, you know, when you hear certain things, sometimes your entire body just it resonates, right? I and mean, sometimes it shows up as like chicken like skin, or I, I call it goosebumps. Um, but <laughs> truly, you have such an incredible story. And I'm, I'm so honored to be able to speak to you right now. I know we could have done the formalities of starting off with your name and such, but I, I appreciate you kind That's of just cool. summing it up. <laughs> um, yeah. But I do want to ask, and if you're willing to share, what was what was that experience like? The one that you said the the moment that you had that really you know changed your trajectory back to where you are today. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure, and. You were there when I when I gave this talk at the last mm -hmm. third door event, and it's it was so great to actually finally be able to share this story with people and and just let them know, like, hey, this actually happened to me, and and that's why I'm here today. You know, it's so to be able to share that with anyone who watches this, uh, I I really just want someone to be able to take away that uh, whatever is going on in their life right now it might feel like they're stuck or it may feel like there's no way out. They may feel like they're in an endless rut that they or an endless mm -hmm. hole that they can't climb out of. But I want you to know through the extremity of my own story that that's not the case. You mm -hmm. actually aren't meant to be where you are right now. There's a reason why you're stuck, but it's in discovering those reasons that that's the pathway towards getting yourself out. So I'm sitting in solitary confinement mm -hmm. and I had already been there probably about six years at that point. And, uh, you know, isolation, uh, in a supermax facility is it's, it's not a picnic. It's not a walk in the park. It's, it certainly is what it's supposed to be. It is designed mm -hmm. for the purposes of sensory deprivation and it is human torture. There, there is no direct sunlight. You do not have a cellmate. You live by yourself and a lot of your time is spent in silence and reflection. Uh, a lot of people around me lost their grasp of reality in the time that I was there. I saw perfectly <laughs> sane people. I saw it happen to them many times. Yeah. Um, I won't get into specifics, but I, I've seen some things that I was like, I can't believe like, this perfectly sane human that I was just, I met two years ago is now doing these things to themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I was able to maintain my sanity, but I had to fight for it every single day. And so six years later, I'm sitting there and I always forget this part. I don't remember if I was, if I was reading or I was eating my lunch. I, I can't remember which it was during the middle of the day. I know that. And every unit had a skylight built into it. So although there was never any direct sunlight, you never actually saw the sun physically itself. There was like muted sunlight that was allowed to dimly light the interior through these skylights. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if there was uh, some kind of damage to it or whatever. The place I was at, it rains like 75, 80% of the year. So it just mm-hmm. adds to the depression. It adds to like, oh my God, I hate my life, you know? Yeah, it's very depressing. It's very oppressive. It's very isolating, you know? Mm-hmm. Bad weather just, it just compounds the feeling, you know? So, so I'm sitting there and I feel warmth on my hand and I look down. It was so foreign to me that that's what made me look down. Almost like you don't believe, you know, cause now you could be touched by sunlight. You, you would know the feeling of sunlight yeah. if it touched you. To me, it was like, as a spider on me, is something crawling mm-hmm. on, is there a bug in here? You know, like that's the reaction was I looked down at my hand. No, it was, it was, it was a beam of sunlight and I, it had somehow entered the space through the, through the skylight. I know that because I ended up walking up to my cell door, which, um, where I was at, because it was a supermax facility, the cell doors are not solid. Mm -hmm. They are imagine like a cheese grater with a bunch of holes in it. That's how the Mm -hmm. doors are because they need to be able to see into you 24 hours a day. There's no privacy. There's no, none of that exists there. So I walk up to my cell door and I can see the beam coming through like just a little thing. And I don't know if it, if it was damage or, or how that happened, but it touched me. And when it touched me and I realized what it was, uh, it was like, it was like all of this insight just flooded my mind mm-hmm. you know it was like instant knowledge like an instant download of knowledge that i was not supposed to be there that was not the future i was supposed to have mm-hmm. and i didn't know how i was going to get out of there but the lifestyle i was living up to that point and i want to be very honest with anyone who watches this i was not living a a, a very nice lifestyle i was a high level mm-hmm. gang member I had, I accepted no responsibility for my crime or my actions. I did not hold myself accountable. I didn't care. My intention was to die there. When this mm-hmm. happened to me, I saw how wrong I was for that. And from that moment forward, I knew I can no, I will no longer live this lifestyle ever again. I'm going to somehow find a way to change myself and I'm going to find a way to get out of this hole. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I did, it took me two more years to get out of solitary confinement. Uh, And eventually I did. And during those two years though, I, I started to reach out to people and I, I found a sponsor, a 12 step sponsor who was living in South Carolina and he started to write to me and slowly but surely, I started to rebuild myself. Uh, I started to recover my former self, deeply buried, completely suppressed. I, I had to reach in and I had to grab him out of there. And I had to, what I call, hug the cactus. I had to be honest mm-hmm. about my demons, about my defects. I had to be honest with myself about everything I had done, the harm I had caused. And it just completely transformed me. And that led to a long time of just transformational work, deep diving, really getting to understand and challenge my beliefs, my perspectives. Why do I think the way I think? Who taught me that? Where did it come from? How did I even become capable of committing the crime I committed in the first place? No one's born that way, right? So I had to throw myself into all of this and I did. And it all started literally from that moment uh, like the big bang, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. that was in 2010, four years later, I kid you not four years later, short years, I go to the parole board and they grant me parole. There wasn't even a, it wasn't even like we have some doubts. It was your, your change and transformation is so apparent to us. 
that we simply cannot deny what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to. And they granted me parole and I came home a year later in 2015. That's how mm -hmm. fast it goes. And that is why something like the third door means so much to me because I know that's how fast it goes. I didn't know how I was gonna get out of that hole. I couldn't go through the front door and no one was opening the back for me. So I went inward and the inward path was my, <laughs> ooh, that was my third door. It was mm -hmm. in here. Uh, ooh. I wish Anyhow. I could go in and give you a hug right now. Um, and I will say, so, one thing we can just take a break for a second. Um, one thing that I learned, so I've been doing EMDR recently. I, I come oh, from a, a significant amount of like trauma, um, but something like sensory that I've learned that I actually practice um, day to day is like, so we could do it together if you want to try it right now, but essentially okay. you would just be going left, right, left, right. And just take, we can take a second to just do this together. Um, but I usually do this exercise. It's supposed to be this way. Um, okay. But obviously when you're on like camera or when you're in public or <laughs> right. I mean, for me, Zoom meetings, <laughs> um, right. it's, it's a lot easier to just do this like to yourself, but it actually activates more of like a parasympathetic response. Um, so mm. if you want to do that for a second with me, we can do that. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for being so honest and vulnerable. I can't even, I can't fathom. So you use the notion of like hugging the cactus and that's still something that I'm very yeah. not, I'm too scared to do. And <laughs> I just, I, it is, it is, I mean, think about the notion of hugging an actual cactus who in the right mind would want to do something like that, let alone be yeah. able to, not only be honest with yourself, but then honest with the world around you that that requires just such a level of courage and vulnerability that I don't think many people are, I guess they don't a know how or b are able to yet. Um, they're not ready yet. And I, I just, I very much admire you and thank you. Thank you so much for, for being, just who you are, <laughs> because thank you. it really I does that. inspire many of us. And now I have tears in my eyes. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> We're both going to need Kleenexes for this one. I, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, it, it is, it's difficult to talk about to this day, just because how can you not be emotional about something as powerful as this, you know, it, for, for so many reasons, anyone could argue that I'm not actually supposed to be sitting here talking to you right now, yeah. you know, but the thing about me is, is that I've done enough work to, to be okay with that. I can accept that. I can surrender to your perspective that I shouldn't be sitting here speaking right now. Mm -hmm. And I can understand and put myself in your shoes and, and see why that would be the case. So it's not oppositional. It's just, I, I accept how you feel, but I also, this happened to me and, and I have to complete my mission. I just do. And I'm not mm -hmm. just doing it for myself. Uh, the other day I posted on Twitter how I, everything I do every single day is in the honor and the name of the, my victims for the harm that I caused. I don't live my life alone. They, this, this person specifically is attached to me. He always will be. And everything I do is for him. And just, I feel like your story just requires so much mental fortitude and something I actually just really love. So you use the word light in two, two parts in the last 20 minutes. And the first was talking about your grandmother. And then obviously the second is the actual yeah. You know, the, the feeling of sunlight, right? right. Um, do you think that there was, do you think a part of you thinks that it was her maybe perhaps or something along those lines? You're, you're actually not the first person to say that there has been someone else that brought that up. Um, I've heard everything, yeah. you know, it was God, it was <laughs> the universe. It was, you know, 
uh, it could be, you know, and if it was, I, I'm forever grateful to her. Um, yeah. but what, whatever it was, it was, it happened. And I just, mm -hmm. what a shame it would be if something like this were to happen to any of us, anyone watching this, you're not, you're not expecting the sign. You're not expecting because it comes when it comes. Mm -hmm. And it could be an unexpected phone call. It could be a knock at the door. It could be, for me, it was a beam of light. Like, And when it happens, what a shame would it be for any of us to deny or ignore the experience of, or the calling. Mm -hmm. So I don't assign, uh, specifically, I don't assign a religious purpose to what happened to me or, or anything like that. It certainly felt spiritual. It, yeah. To me, this was not ordinary sunlight. This was something calling me forward. So something that powerful cannot be ignored. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad that I listened to myself because I had every reason to just continue to sit there in my misery. Um, and it, as bad as, as solitary confinement is, and it, it is, and I've been very honest about that in a lot of my talks and, and things I write, it's a horrific place. Mm -hmm. Even that you can get used to. And, and by six years later, I had a program I had adapted. Human resiliency is so real. Like I had mm -hmm. literally adapted to this place. And as crazy as it sounds, I had some comfort there. So I had many reasons to just remain where I was stuck with no growth, no evolution, no intention, no purpose, nothing driving mm -hmm. me forward, motivating me. But when this happened to me, I could not deny it. And I just, I hate to use this term, but I took a leap of faith. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's so, it's so cliche sometimes, but it, it's, it, yes. it is, it, it really is, you know, <laughs> I, I love that. And I, I really, I am a big proponent of, you know, if you believe in the universe, if you believe in God, whatever you believe in, for me, it's the universe, right? When it gives you the mm -hmm. signs to your, and funny enough, my, for me, my EMDR journey is the next in the, the phase of what I'm going through. And yeah. guess what the, the program, not program, the, the practice is called. It's what? leap of faith consulting. <laughs> so it's like exactly. when I saw it, I was like, I was like, oh my God. But I'm like, nope, that's exactly what I need right now. <laughs> so yeah. ironically, um, it, it, it does happen, you know, in that way. Um, it's just, we all need to open. take a leap of faith. <laughs> we really do. Yes. Yeah. 110%. Um, and, and I am curious. So if you could go back to, you know, younger Artie, like little Artie at 13, you know, what, what would you tell, what would you tell him? I, I believe the, the first thing I would want to tell my younger self is that uh, I'm enough, you know, on my own. Mm -hmm. I, because of the way I was raised, I was always seeking external validation yeah. and I got tons of it from grandma, you know, but when she was gone, I found it elsewhere and I found it in very negative role models and influences. And all I was really doing was I was striving for some form of value and acceptance, uh, a peer appreciation just something that, and, and, and if, if you think about that and you reduce all that all the way down, I was seeking identity, you know, You're so so young. I was so young That's and you find so much value in identity. Right. And, and then here are these yeah. folks and they show up and they're like, Hey man, uh, yeah, if you bang this color and you throw up this number and you fight for this street, that's your identity and, and we love you for it. And, you know, mm -hmm. a kid that's in, in that much pain is just going to eat that up. And uh, so I would just say, like, you, you're you're enough on your own. And it's hard mm -hmm. for someone at 13 to understand that. Um, one of the big other things that I, I often talk about is, uh, well, you've heard me talk a lot about forgiveness. But the other thing I talk a lot about is love. 
And I really would want my 13-year-old self to know, like, if, if you're ever lost or you're confused or you don't know what to do and you're at a crossroads, love is the answer. Mm-hmm. What is the loving choice? What is the path that follows love? That's your answer right there. And mm-hmm. if you follow that, it's impossible. It doesn't mean that, that you won't fall short. It doesn't mean you won't have failures. But it will mean that you will be more aligned with the path you're supposed to be on. Because had mm-hmm. I been more connected to love at that point, that's what could have led me to a guidance counselor or, a, or my pastor or someone outside other than a gang member who I could pour my heart to. But you see, I didn't choose that path. I chose the other path because the opposite of love we call hate. Mm-hmm. But really, really, I would say it's pain. Yeah. And so I chose the painful path and I chose to live in that. And I was guided towards others who were in the same kind of pain, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I would want my 13 year old self to know that love is the way capital W. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I absolutely love that. And I, you know, I think I just had an epiphany myself, right? Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Because when you think about when you're trying to make decisions or what you're supposed to be doing or who you're supposed to be, you know, it's never a clear path because life never is. And if you do continue to choose the loving way, whether it be loving yourself or those around you, there is no way that you're, you're not going to fail. I mean, you're going to fail. Obviously, there's obviously going to be failures and you said shortcomings, but when you continue to love, continue to love, it just it'll be okay in the end. Like it's, you know, you're going to get to where you need to go. And, um, you know, you inspired me to love myself a little bit more today. (laughs) I think, you know, there's, there's really nothing more important. Like you are with yourself a hundred percent of the time. You have to love yourself more than anyone else does. Like you really do. Yeah. I'm curious. So you were in solitary I was. You no, know, that does change how your brain views your own reality and how you know you, you carry yourself day to day. Do you find yourself? How do you think that it's changed you? Ironically, there there is a positive way as well. So there's mm-hmm. the negatives, which could be uh, maybe I, I've seen people who come out of there that are just for the rest of their lives, or, or until they decide to work on it, they are. Uh, socially, they just have a lot of anxiety. They're not comfortable around large groups of people. Uh, they're less trusting. I, I, you know, obviously people, they hear things and they still have like nightmares, things of that mm-hmm. nature. And I'm talking about people that have come home, you yeah. know, and, and there's a lot of PTSD that is definitely related to torture. Mm-hmm. And in the positive sense, for example, I, I'm not really attached to materialism. Mm -hmm. So I like nice things. I, 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 I think it's great. You know, who doesn't want a nice car one day or, you know, to be able to afford comforts and things that they would like, maybe who doesn't want to travel all the time and go to nice places and all of that's great. But if I Mm -hmm. lost all of that today, for some reason, uh, I would have a much different reaction than most people would. Because I had, yeah. I learned the hard way that uh, material is fleeting and it is impermanent. And it is something that the value of which is derived from ourselves. We are the mm-hmm. ones who place the value on the material that becomes more important to us than our own lives and our own well being. Uh, but when you have nothing but a hole and some writing paper and maybe a book, and you can still smile once a day, you really start to understand that happiness is not derived from things. You know, it's derived from self, you know? So, so that I would say that's one of the positives uh, that I took away from that, but m- many more negatives, you know, I, I'm still in therapy to this day. Like I, I see a therapist and, you know, I've never recidivated, I've never uh, violated or, you know, or gone back uh, ever since coming home. Most long-term uh, guys, we don't come back or girls. We, um, yeah. 
anyone who's done 15, 20, 25, 30, 35 years, uh, less than 1% of us actually go back to prison while the rest of the population mm -hmm. is about 75%. Yeah. In the first three years. Wow. So in the first three years, about 70, 75% of folks will, will pro violate or for, or create new crime or, you know, go back while wow. long-term what they call long-term offenders. We typically don't do that because we've had to go through a process to gain our freedom. And that process was that the third door, the internal door, we had to go inside mm -hmm. and we had to really learn about ourselves. So by the time we're free, the person who we were, we've shed like a skin and is gone. Mm -hmm. I still look like me, but I'm, I'm not me anymore. I'm somebody mm -hmm. else, you know? So, so although that's the case, uh, it's impossible to live in this outside world and not be triggered by the world itself. Mm -hmm. And this, this world often triggers PTSD that I still carry from my time inside, you know? Yeah. And that's why I see a therapist because maintenance on ourselves is very important. I, I highly recommend anyone to just continue with your well-being, continue seeing to your mental health, continue uh, going to therapy, working on yourself, transforming, mm -hmm. being open to change, uh, continue these, these things for yourself because it's not like you get to a start, a stop point and then you're good. And now I could just yeah. navigate the world for the rest of my life. No, you know, it's an ongoing process, but it's even more of a process if you've gone through such trauma and you were taught to react to that trauma in violence mm -hmm. or antisocial ways. So yeah. I'm a huge proponent of therapy as well. So one thing to take away definitely from this conversation, I'm sure there's so many, but right. do it, try it, you know, be curious about the stigmas there. It, this will, it will help you. Really. Yeah. Um, be able to help you reveal things about yourself or, you know, forever, whatever purpose it serves for you, there will be a purpose. Um, something interesting that you said, um, you know, you were talking about long-term, like those that were in long-term uh, in the system and you know, re-entering into society. So the book that I'm writing about is, is essentially called The Only in the Room. And, you know, yeah. most of my we life. We talked about that. Yeah. Yes, right. Yes. <laughs> yep. And, um, I mean, it, most of my life I've been the only physically, right? I mean, I'm a, a short little brown haired, like, I mean, brown girl <laughs> with like, you know, curly hair. Um, right. And the reason, but however, just because in a crowd, I looked like the only, I I've always felt like the only because of a lot of the experiences that I've been dealing with from mm -hmm. abuse to assault to my own addictions to like opioids and all these other things, right? that have caused me to feel like isolated just in my own mm. in my own being and i'm an extrovert so you know like that, right right that's never people would be like what are you talking about <laughs> that's crazy um and so i'm curious to know like you know re-entering into society i'm sure you felt like the only in the room so can you tell me a little bit about that experience and what you've done about it yeah it I, I really like the name, the only in the room, because I really feel like so many people can watch this and be able to relate to the experience of feeling like you're the only person like yourself in the room. And that has certainly been the case for me since I've, since I came home. The thing about it is there is a huge criminal and social justice reform movement and a huge space. There's a lot of us out here. Oftentimes, however, I find myself in spaces where I just still feel like I'm the other in the room. And what you and I were discussing was I could be in, I'm in the room, for example, with a bunch of our third door family, right? And such great hearts. Like, I mean, come on, everybody there was like amazing, talented. Mm -hmm had all these aspirations. It was like the energy was, the energy was just palpable. Like it just felt like everyone was just motivated to just really strive to align with their highest selves, doing the, 
highest good. Uh, and so I felt, I feel the alignment that everyone else feels, but I still felt like, you know, I'm, I'm the only person here that has had my experience. And, and, and oftentimes that also happens if I'm, uh, in a social justice space and there could be a bunch of us in the room, but I know that no one's ever been in solitary confinement in this room. So, and, and it's not that people aren't warm or inviting. I don't want to say that at all. It's everyone's loving and everyone is, is wants the same thing. You know, we're all there for the same reason, but to always feel this sense of otherness uh, is something that resonates deeply with me. And, you know, talk about love. My self-love is really what helps me to maintain and stay in the room because I'm okay in and of myself. I, I accept myself. I accept my value as being enough for me. External validation is not really necessary for me anymore. It's, it's great. It's, it's part of the human experience, but, uh, but I love myself enough to be okay with that. And also I feel that's a calling. If I'm the only, if I'm the other in the room, then I'm being called forward to make sure that everyone understands, Hey, this experience happens too. You know, it's sort of a, a, a moral obligation of mine. Mm -hmm. yep. So, so it, it just happens and, and it happens around allies and it happens around people who aren't allies. And, you know, it's yeah. just something that I experience. And so that's why I really wanted to come on here and talk because as a formerly incarcerated person, you will often feel as if you are the other in the room just by virtue of your past experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And Wow. And what, what can, and I'm curious, you know, we talk about these, these young girls and boys, right? And even mm -hmm. those that come, like, come on as adults, what can we do? Like, what would you, what, what can we do? <laughs> I'm sure there are programs and such, but like someone like me, like, how can I give back for mm -hmm. even just a little bit of a contribution? You mean as far as allies? Yeah, as being an ally, yeah. So one of the one of the areas that I feel can definitely be shored up and enhanced is the area of there's a lot of people who have a willingness who have never been incarcerated in their lives. They mm -hmm. but so they have some privilege. They while I was spending twenty years in there getting myself out and you know doing all these things. These people were actually building their lives for 20 years. Yeah. You know, and they were going from like assistant in the office up to CEO, you know, mm -hmm. and, and they have such great heart and many of them do. And they, they, they hear our stories and it's just like, man, like it's, it's so inspirational for me. How can I support you? I'm totally down. Like I run into that a lot especially someone like me who's developing kind of a platform enough to where I'm mm -hmm. getting to meet some, some high achieving people who are like, Artie, this is great. Like, how can I support you? I feel like the words are spoken much more than the actions are put mm -hmm. forth. And it's not a diss. It's just, this is my experience. It has been my experience. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that's definitely an area like, there are people that have privilege and position and intention, well-intentioned. It's okay to use that leverage and use that power. Like it's actually okay to open the gate for someone. It's all right mm -hmm. to open the door. Um, it's not okay to say you're going to do that and then not do mm -hmm. that. You know, they don't know this, but every time this has been done to me, they don't understand that they are actually, they're harming me. Yeah. They are actually touching on a trauma of, of mine. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like once again, I'm being second classed or I'm being othered and I don't feel like I'm equal in the room. It just feels like once again, somebody is, is, uh, is putting me in a box and saying, you're not enough, you know? 
So, so that's, so it's not a disc cause I know they don't understand that's what happens, but it mm-hmm. is. And so if you're an ally in the space, the other thing you can do is talk to us, really educate yourself as to how to communicate with people who have had my experience, what your actions mean or inactions mean to them. Because if you did more of that and the education grew, less and less of this would happen. But I see people with very great intentions who often cause more harm than good and they don't realize they're doing it. Thank you for being honest about that. I I, I honestly think that, you know, when I asked the question, I was like, oh my goodness, it, it is that mindset of like, I feel so, after speaking to you, I feel so inspired and privileged and I I want to be able to give back. And then you think about it and you're like, okay, well, what are you going to be actually doing? And, and, <laughs> right. and if and it is, it is easier to talk than it is to understand those things. And, um, and in no way do I want you to feel like this is like a charity case or anything that the otherness, I want to be able to remove the otherness is like essentially Absolutely. what the, the mindset that I had when I first asked it. But I, I appreciate you being so honest about what would like what happens when people do sometimes have that intention but then they can't necessarily act on it um and and i'm sorry for all the harm that might have been caught that that have been caused you know in the past but um i guess really for me and i think you did answer the question was by saying like listening and making it so that we are because we are at the same level you know there's there's no there shouldn't be like we're all human we all I mean we have all had different experiences but um I, I guess the root of the question that I'm trying to answer even for myself is how do we get rid of that otherness you know for how do we connect more in, in, a, in, a, in a way yeah. that feels safe for both of us um, if you have any insight on that like getting rid of that otherness yeah. I would love to hear about Definitely. I, I, you know, I've been very clear with people about this. Um, first of all, I have, I have a tremendous amount of compassion for, for others in the space that, that sometimes step into that and don't realize it. So it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not anger or hostility. It's like, I know you don't know. So the forgiveness is there. Right. Mm -hmm. And by forgiveness, I mean, it's, it's just letting go. There's no resentment that's developed. There's none of that but it does show me where the work is and where it's needed. So this is a greater education that's needed. Uh, And I feel that's what would eliminate the otherness. You see, because many allies in the space who've never been formally, who are not formally incarcerated, have never had any carceral experience, but they do have these means and this privilege and this position have had a whole different life experience, but they had the best of intentions. Uh, Many of them, they, they, they are not aware that they carry an unseen bias. Mm-hmm. Even as an ally, they're not aware mm-hmm. that the bias is there, right? And, and let me give you a small example of that. I will provide services for you. I'll help you get on your feet. I can put you in housing. I can, I can refer you to someone who can take you through the DMV. Oh. I can help you build your resume. I can do all of these things but I'm not going to invite you to my house to have dinner with my family at the table. I ain't mad at you. I don't hate you. You know, they, they have the attitude, you know, it's just, but that's not going to happen. You see, there's a barrier there and that barrier is bias. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's better for us to just be honest about that and call a spade a spade so that we can get through that. Right. And the reason that that's there is because as much as I want to help, that doesn't mean I feel safe around. Mm-hmm. That to me is like, that's where we come in. Like I, I really have to, I really have to demonstrate through my example that that is not the case, you know, and shout out to all of my ally friends uh, who definitely are like, come over, bro. Like we're barbecuing, you know, <laughs> I have, yeah. there are so many, you know what I mean? But I'm just using this as an example of like the, mm-hmm. that hidden bias they're not even aware of. But the problem with that is you may not be aware of it, but I feel it. I'm aware that it's there. I know when it's happening, you know? So another one, I would, I would provide all these services for you. I'll help you out. I'll help you with your resume. Um, 
I know what you're trying to do. I work in the film industry. I've been so very clear about what my trajectory is and where I'm trying to go. So I meet a lot of high level producers, writers, directors, things of that nature. It's like, but they would still, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to trust me to come in and just start at the bottom associate producer, come and learn how to be a producer with me. I'll mentor Mm -hmm. you. I'll guide you. You know, when this happens, it's not like it, it's not, it's not destroying me or anything, but I feel it like you'll sit with me, you'll talk to me or whatever, but you're not actually going to open a gate that puts me on the path in the trajectory. And Mm -hmm. what you don't understand is that what's stopping you from doing that is that there's something about my past that makes you not trust that I'm capable. That's the bias. This person mm-hmm. must not be that capable. They are probably not as articulate. They don't have the mm-hmm. necessary skills. And here's the thing. Every single person who has opened a gate for me to this day, and I've been home seven and a half years, has never been disappointed. I have never failed anyone since I've been home. I've only continued yeah. to go up and up and up because what I don't know, I can learn. And I learn very quickly. But I'm not the only one. I'm not a unique situation. And that's the whole point. I'm trying to speak for a mass of people. And so it's it's about educating others about that bias and eliminating the bias. I think once that happens, you start to feel less othered in the room because you start to feel more like you're you're an equal. You know, mm-hmm. you start to feel more like the person who's shaking your hand and smiling at you actually trusts that you're not going to harm them. You know, so it, it's yeah. not as clear as other people. Like some people just have like a very clear, like, here's how you can make me not feel like another. Mine is very hidden and very like, uh, it's very subtle, mm-hmm. you know, so that's what makes it so difficult to attack, you know? Yeah. But it's very important too. And I think that we can all do a little bit more work understanding our own biases and what exists because we all have our, like, you know, we have things like to work through and appreciate, you know, it, it makes me now think I'm like, okay, what biases do I have? Like, you know, going into certain conversations. Or <laughs> we all should be asking ourselves that. <laughs> yeah, on a daily <laughs> basis, I think. And yeah. we don't do it enough. And in our society now as disconnected, we're, we're getting more and more connected, but we're also getting more and more disconnected. And, um, it's a lot of like seeking that in, like external validation nowadays on social media yeah. or um, instant gratification or comparing right. our, our lives to others. So it is, I think, the, one of the most important times to start realizing, like looking inwards and seeking that out. But I am curious now, looking in, as you were saying, you know, as you seem to be elevating more and more, what, what is next for you? So, uh, as you know, I've been developing this series called lessons from a lifer, mm-hmm. and which is sort of a, it's a, it's like a visual podcast, you know, two heads talking. And yeah. I already had one great guest on, uh, Leon Ford who came mm-hmm. and he guested and we had a great conversation about forgiveness. The, the view I'm hoping to get like three of those in the can before we start to like, try to do something with those. Um, yeah. my, my goal is to get people who have obviously have some kind of celebrity or um, thought leaders, you know, people such as this uh, to sit with me and speak about things like this, that they normally aren't interviewed about or talk about the point of it being that their story and my story, there's intersection, no matter how Mm -hmm. extreme my experience was, we all have more alike than we do different. And I think that if we can show that and, and their viewers see that, then people start to realize, hey, man, we're, we're actually on the same side of the fence here. And we're being mm-hmm. told that we're, that we're opposition, you know, and we're really not. Um, so for me, it's, it's, uh, it's in part, it is to help eliminate the bias. You may mm-hmm. not listen to what I have to say about forgiveness or love or empathy or, you know, the, the championship mindset. Right. You, you may not initially want to listen to me about those things because of my past, 
But if you see me speaking to someone that you admire, you trust, and you respect, you might be more receptive and open. So that's why my guests are very important. And shout out to like, I don't want to name them now, but to my friends that uh, have already told me like, hey, let me know when I'll jump on, you know, so I definitely have the guests that want to jump on. Uh, in mm-hmm. addition to that, I'm writing a book called Lessons from a Lifer, and a book mm-hmm. is a much longer <laughs> journey. Uh, so I'm working on that. Uh, I still work in television and film. I'm a location manager and a location scout, so I scout for uh, different TV shows and movies, and that's basically my job. You know, I, I that I work mm-hmm. every day. Um, I love it. I just saw a trailer for an Apple movie that's coming out called uh, The Last Thing He Told Me with Jennifer mm-hmm. Garner. Uh, that's, that's coming out soon. And I worked on that. So very happy, um, with my job and like just the freedom it gives me to be able to scout and, uh, the people I get to meet and the places I get to see. I'm just, I'm so grateful after being in a box that many years to have yeah. a job that gives me that kind of freedom, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm working on all those things. I'm also working on the speaking situation. I gave mm-hmm. a couple of talks um, at Summit in Palm Desert. They were recorded, thankfully, and I'm working with some friends to maybe get into the TED world, Speakers Bureau. You know, I'm working on these things. And I think now that people have actually seen me do a couple of talks, they're like, oh, okay, Artie can speak. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of, I guess I had to like show and, and, and you know, kind of show what I can do. Um, but it's really great because as that platform continues to grow, more and more people are going to hear what I have to say. And what's more important to me is that they hear what I have to say because they're hearing it from people they're never going to meet or see. 99% of my rehabilitation came from other men in blue. It didn't come from the system. It came from men in blue who sat me down in a circle and cried with me and processed with me and got me to where I am today. You're never going to meet them, but when I speak, I speak with their voice. So that's why it's important for me to get this platform going as far as the speaking goes. Yeah. I'm so excited for you. I mean, thank you. It's going to be a lot of work and it's going to be, I'm sure, just a lot. It's going to be a lot, right? But it's going to be so worth it. And I'm I'm so excited for you anyway. Um, I know I'm just starting off my my writing and all of that too. So if I, I can support you, if you <laughs> ever want to do like a writing circle, uh, oh, please let okay. me know. <laughs> um, and I want to be cognizant of your time. I didn't even realize uh, we are at the third, like 32 right now. But thank you so much for taking the time. And, and honestly, after hearing you speak, I felt inspired to start this book writing journey and now I'm 20 wow. interviews later. I'm wow. you're my last, and I've said the best for last is what I'd like to say. Um, <laughs> no, that's wow. Thank that's, you. that's an honor. I appreciate that. Wow. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I mean, I love right. the full circleness of it. I mean, we started. I had that conversation with you. I think in October. Mm-hmm. Here we are in March, and so just. Just thank you. I, yeah, I don't know what I, I really appreciate that. Wow, that's I mean, that's so great. Um, I, I just want to say, like, I'm, I'm a pretty open book and I'm very accessible. So if anyone who watches this wants to get in contact with me, um, uh, my website is artigonzalez.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm very active on Instagram. And my Instagram is at the Artie Gonzalez. And you can just DM me or, or whatever. I think my email's on there too. So you can just hit me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always looking to collab or just have a conversation. You know, if there's something that you're going through or whatever. My approach is always from the standpoint of the, the wisdom that was handed to me from other lifers. So it, it was so instrumental in my change. I'm happy to pay it forward. If you just want to talk or... Yeah you know, about anything, relationships, uh, your own forgiveness story, just hit me up. Like I'm so accessible. Uh, I'm always going to be that way. I don't care how, how high the trajectory goes. You got to stay humble, man. Mm-hmm. I love that. And you spoke of words that I was going to say, can you give us your socials? So thank you for providing <laughs> right. that. I'll make sure I link everything. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. I hope you have a fantastic Sunday. I'm just going to stop the recording and take a quick picture, by the way. Um, okay. If that's all right with you. But yeah, it's great. <laughs>
Thanks for joining us on today's episode of The Only in the Room. If you like what you listen to, give us a follow on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. The handle is at The Only in the Room. If you want to connect with Artie, you can find him on Instagram at T-H-E-A-R-T-I-E-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-S. So it's at The Artie Gonzalez. You can also order his new book, Will Artie and the Adventure of Isolation on Amazon. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you on the next episode.